Good evening, guys. Good evening. Uh, if you're with us online as well tonight, let's open up our Bibles this evening to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31. We'll be looking at verses 31 through 59 here uh, this evening, which will take us all the way through the end of uh, the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. So Jesus was teaching in the temple after the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and as we saw last time, it, uh, it said that many believed. And I would say this, that perhaps some truly believed in Jesus, but as we'll see here tonight, many simply agreed with him and with some of the things that he said, but they didn't put their faith uh, in him. And there's a, there's a difference. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. People believed him, and that was different sometimes than people who believed in him. And so this group who believed actually wound up arguing and seeking to kill Jesus. And Jesus says that those who truly believe and follow him will abide, Jesus says, will abide in my word. And so we discover here tonight that abiding in his word is uh, the mark of a true disciple. And this leads to true freedom, to true paternity, to true life in Jesus Christ. So let's get into it tonight here. John chapter 8, verse 31 says this, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, again, distinction versus believing in him. And we see this over and over in the Gospels. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So some of those Jews believed in Jesus, but as I said, that doesn't mean that they necessarily, in fact, many did not, place their faith in him, and they soon would be ready to kill him. Some feel that the they, and in verse 33 it says that they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Um, we'll talk about that more when we get to verse 33, but some think that the they that start arguing there is a different group of people than those who believed. They argue that they were bystanders, bystanders the, the, the they were just standing around. Jesus was talking to these people that believed and there were these bystanders and then they started arguing with him. However, the context seems to, of this passage seems to go out of its way to actually say otherwise and that seems to be the point here. It's also, as I said, consistent to what we find in the Gospels. And, and frankly, consistent to what we find today. There are people who, they don't believe Jesus at all on any level. So they don't agree with anything that he said. Uh, they don't agree with God's word. Then there are people that believe uh, in a sense, but they're not saved. In other words, I've, I've come across, and I'm sure you have too, all kinds of people that they don't disagree with uh, 
many, if not all, of the things that Jesus said. But they're not saved. They haven't placed their faith and trust in Him. So there's a difference between believing in the sense of agreement and believing in a sense of faith. You know, it's this, the, the longest journey in the universe, from here to here, you know, from intellectual belief to, to faith and to spiritual belief. And that's what we're looking at here. And that, that's really what is being highlighted here for us. And so Jesus talks about those who are truly his disciples. Notice he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So there were those who were disciples, and then there were disciples indeed. There, there's a, a very definite contrast that is being made between these two types of disciples, so to speak. In other words, there's those that agree and they follow on a surface level. They're, they, you could say, are in a way disciples. But then there are true disciples, disciples indeed. And those, Jesus said, are the ones who continue in his word. They continue in his word. They, they respond to his word. And they are faithful to his word throughout their lives. And verse 32, Jesus continues on. He says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So if we abide in his word, then Jesus gives us this great promise. We will know the truth and the truth will make us free. For those who abide in his word, they're going to know the truth of God. They're not going to wonder about it. They're not going to speculate about it. And they are going to experience, unlike others, true freedom in their lives. Now, this group that believed uh, on that surface level, who assented to the things that Jesus said up to this point... They disagree here. And they answered in verse 33, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? So his listeners were in denial. Um, What do I mean by that? Well, they say, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. It's hard to think of a nation that hadn't enslaved them. It really is quite difficult to think of uh, a group of people that hadn't enslaved the descendants of Abraham. The Egyptians, followed by the Philistines, followed by the Assyrians, followed by the Babylonians, followed by the Persians, followed by the Greeks. And now at this very moment as Jesus is talking to them, They are enslaved by the Romans at that very instant during that conversation. So delusional, you know, and and to top it off, worse than, than political enslavement, worse than their enslavement to all of these various peoples and and nations, 
Worse than that, they were in bondage to sin. So they had been in bondage virtually to every major empire up to that point, and also now having drifted away from God and from His Word, they were in bondage to sin. And Jesus answered them, verse 34, He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus doesn't bother with the political. He could have, but he doesn't really waste his time because, you know, that was history. And, and at the end of the day, what actually mattered was their bondage to sin. So Jesus goes there. He addresses that topic. And he says something very interesting. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, I like that he doesn't say whoever has in the past sinned is still a slave of sin. Because what that would mean is is that there is no hope of freedom from this bondage. That there is no hope of deliverance from sin. But Jesus says whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, let's do a little bit of of Greek and I'll just say this. Um, God is a good sense of humor. First of all, uh, let me just share a few things with you uh, uh, about myself. When I was in school, I couldn't wait to get out of high school. I graduated early, a year and a half early, so I could get out of high school. I, I wanted to be out of there so badly. And when we started the church, where did we wind up meeting? In a high school. And I spent another eight years in high school. I don't think I didn't notice. And, and so God sent me back to high school. Part of the reason that, you know, uh, that I wasn't too into school was, you know, uh, I didn't do a very good job of applying myself back then. I didn't appreciate um, the opportunity to learn. And so, you know, I couldn't have told you the difference uh, between an adjective or I would have had a difficult time between an adjective and an adverb, you know, a preposition and a pronoun, what a predicate nominative was and all of these things. And, and, and now I spend the better part of a lot of days uh, looking at these things. So uh, if you're not familiar with these things, uh, don't worry. Uh, I wasn't either, and that's the beauty of studying God's Word, is as I studied God's Word, I learned history. As I studied God's Word, I even learned my own language. Not only the languages of, of Scripture to, to the degree that God helped me grasp some of these things, but, but even my own language. And, and, and so what this word is, this word commits, is it's a, it, it, let's break it down. It's a present active participle. Now, let me make participles simple for you. Participles are usually in English adverbs, and they usually end in ing. So, uh, he is running. Running is the adverb, and it is, uh, it, it is a participle. So, this word commits, it's not really translated that way. Um, it's actually translated as a verb, but 
But really, it's a participle. And so the idea is, Jesus is saying, I say to you, whoever is committing sin is a slave of sin. That's, that's a more literal translation of, uh, uh, of what the, the Greek text says here. You know, so what that tells me is this. If I have sinned and I have repented of my sin, and I am now walking with God, not practicing sin in my life, not having this lifestyle of sin, that I have been through the blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and the power of his Holy Spirit, I've been delivered from the bondage of sin. And I'm abiding in God's word. I'm continuing in faithfulness to God's word. But if I'm living in a way where I am committing sin, then I'm a slave. And I'm a slave to sin. Now, back in the day, uh, you know, I can remember people saying, you know, why, why do you want to be a Christian? You know, you're a new Christian. Maybe you heard this too. People say, why, why do you want to be a Christian? You know, and they'll say something like this to you. I'm not a Christian, and I can do whatever I want. Has anybody ever said that to you? I'm not a Christian, and I get to do whatever I want to do. Really? What are you going to do tonight? Probably drink. Maybe a little something else. And what are you going to do tomorrow night? Probably drink and a little bit of something else. What are you going to do the day after that? I'll probably cheat on my taxes. What are you going to do the day after that? I don't know. Something that's not good. Why? Because you choose to? That's the illusion. No, you're going to do that because you have to. Because you're in bondage and you're a slave to sin. And your flesh and Satan and the world are dictating the choices that you make in life. But as a Christian... You're free. You're no longer in bondage because you choose no longer to walk in sin but to abide in God's word. Now you are free. And they couldn't grasp that. And so Jesus then continues on. You know, some people might say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, so what if I'm a slave to sin? He says, well, a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. You know, slaves and if you want to extend this in a way to our own culture, employees, you know, don't, uh, just like in earthly houses, they don't have any hope. They don't have any future in terms of any kind of inheritance. Only sons do. So if you work for a company, maybe it's a family-owned company, but if you're not part of the family, guess what? They may like you a lot, but you're just an employee, Right? You're not going to inherit part of the company probably unless you're in a very rare and exceptional situation. You're just not. You're, you're a family. There's no expectation of that. There's no, there's no obligation. There's no requirement of that. But you know, if you're a son, you might inherit the company. If you're a son, you might inherit the estate. If you're a son, you might inherit some of that wealth. And guess what? In life, that may or may not be a big deal, but spiritually, it means everything. And if they were slaves, then they shouldn't expect to live forever in the house of God. If they were slaves, and the world, in fact, is uh, 
that is enslaved to sin is biding its time. They're living in God's kingdom, but they're slaves. They have no relationship. They have no future. They have no hope. They have no inheritance. And that's why it matters. That's why what Jesus is talking about matters. And then he says this, verse 36, Therefore, you want to be free. And if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So if he sets them free, then they will not just think that they are free, but they will be truly free, not simply in their own imaginations. And they can actually go from slaves to sons. That's the beauty of the gospel is that you and I, we're, we're, we're nobody. We're less than nobody spiritually. We're slaves. The worst kind of slave. Slaves to our own sin. But we can go to that, from that, to the status of sons. To the sons of God. To the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we can be set free and we can have an inheritance in the heavenly realm. So this brings up two important questions. First of all, we've seen indeed twice. Are you a disciple indeed? Are you simply what we might call just a disciple? A surface level disciple? Or are you truly a disciple? Are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? And the marker of that, the hallmark of that, is that you abide in the Word of God. And then, secondly, are you free indeed? Do you just think in your mind that you're free when really you're actually enslaved? Or are you truly free because you're a disciple who is abiding in the word of God and who has been set free through Jesus Christ? And so these two folks here, I think we know, or these uh, folks here, I think we know the answer to those two questions. They were disciples on some level, but not disciples indeed. They thought that they were free, but they were not free indeed. Jesus continues on, verse 37. He says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So Jesus, continuing on the conversation, he acknowledges that they are the natural descendants of Abraham. However, he also points out that they were plotting his death. And that's because his word wasn't in them. He says, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And they answered and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. So they persisted 
in this idea that they are Abraham's children. But Jesus is driving home the point that to be the children of Abraham is really about something more than uh, a natural birth. It's about something more than the contents of uh, their DNA. It was about spiritually following in Abraham's footsteps. In Romans chapter 9, let's take a look over there. Romans chapter 9, verse, Romans chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 6. So this idea that one is a descendant of Abraham and that all that that involves is, is by being born a Jew, Jesus really blows that up because, yeah, you can be a, a natural descendant of Abraham, but not really be a descendant of Abraham in the, in the sense that it matters. And in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, Paul is uh, talking about the Jews, and he says that they are not all Israel who are of Israel. So in other words, everybody who is a, everybody who is uh, a natural descendant of Abraham is not necessarily a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now, he's making the point uh, from the sense that Abraham had other children uh, through Hagar in particular, the, the children uh, of, the, uh, of the bondwoman as she is called. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that um, you are a descendant of Abraham just because you're naturally born of Abraham. That's what the, the Jews thought. He says, but no, if you, that's logically inconsistent because Abraham even had other descendants that they wouldn't have considered the descendants of Abraham because they were born of a slave. And so he says, in Isaac, this was the promise, in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So the children of faith are the seed. And so going all the way back, Jews couldn't say that they were the seed of Abraham in all senses uh, any more than the children of Hagar could, simply because they were born of Abraham. There had to be something more to be a true child of Abraham. There had to be faith. And so Jesus is making that point. Paul also makes that point quite well. And then Jesus continues on in John chapter 8, verse 41. He says, you do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. So now they go from arguing that they're the seed of Abraham uh, to that God is their Father. The word they use for fornication there can also be used metaphorically of idolatry. And so they're basically saying, look, we're, we're not idolaters. We have, you know, one Father and that's, and that's God. They they're claiming to have been faithful to God when in reality um, their history had been rife uh, with 
spiritual fornication and idolatry and even at that moment was true. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. So they couldn't abide in his word. They couldn't uh, understand his word. And in fact, they couldn't even listen to his word. Do you remember what it was like before you were a Christian? I hope I hope that you do because uh, that's a good thing to remember. It's good to remember where you've come from. Jesus said that the person who is forgiven much loves much. And for that love to continue on, it's good on some level to remember how much we've been forgiven, to remember how far we have come and how much God has done for us in His Son. But do you remember what it was like before you were a believer? You couldn't continue in God's Word. You, you probably couldn't make it five or ten minutes, maybe at some point in God's Word, before you, you know, somehow you, you broke God's Word. And you couldn't understand God's Word. I don't know if you ever recall instances where maybe you went to church or you would read something or you would hear something and you would just, perhaps you would just think, I I don't get it. And that's what Jesus is saying here about about these individuals that, that, that he's talking to. They couldn't abide in God's word. They couldn't understand God's word. Maybe you were like them. You couldn't even listen to God's word. You know, turn, turn it off. I, I, I don't even want to hear it. I remember I had this job and uh, we, uh, in, we saw a lot of people uh, come to Christ in, 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 in this job. It was, it, was, it was neat. People would come in and, you know, through different people in the company, they you know, they would become believers. And I remember I was working with this guy, and he wasn't a believer. And I would share with him, you know, we, we spent long hours. Like, not an eight-hour day, but, you know, like a 12-hour day was not unusual, or longer, uh, was, was not unusual. Um, five, six days a week. We spent a lot of time. And driving uh, from job site to job site, uh, construction-related work. And so a lot of time uh, sharing with him about different things. And then, you know, start, I would start turning on Christian radio and Bible teaching. And, and you know, he was starting to, to you know, really uh, grasp some things and... and you know, opening up, uh, but then one day he just he just decided something happened. I don't really know, but he decided that it was too difficult and he didn't want to do it anymore. And so, you know, I noticed, boom, changed the channel on the radio to I don't know what it was, but you know, 
you, you can pick whatever it was. It, it wasn't pleasant. And so, you know, so I just turned the radio back. And so it was this battle back and forth of the radio. It was kind of funny. I was, you know. And, and uh, he was battling. You could, just, you could just see it on his face. But he couldn't listen to it anymore. He couldn't stand to, to hear it anymore, whether it was music or whether it was Bible teaching or whether it was something that, that I would say and the Lord had to just uh, work and, and break him. And, and I, I'm not really sure what ultimately happened to him. He kind of went back and forth, I think, for, for many years. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting when you come across those people and they just can't even, they get to the place where they can't even listen they don't want to hear. And that's what Jesus is saying about these people. You, you don't understand. You don't continue in it. You don't even want to hear um, the, the, the word of God, my speech, Jesus says. And so verse 44, he says, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. And so Jesus very plainly tells them, who their father is spiritually. Simply put, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and you are following in his footsteps, like father, like son. And he says, and he was a murderer from the beginning. He brought death to Adam and death to the human race. And he does not, Jesus says, stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So Jesus says, you're of your father the devil, a murderer and a liar. He was the original liar, in fact. In Genesis chapter 3, if you want to take a look over there, of course, Genesis chapter 3 has the account of the fall of men. And it begins this way in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has indeed God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So Satan comes and he begins to sow seeds of doubt. Here is Eve and she is familiar with God's word and to this point she has been abiding in God's word but then along comes Satan the liar and he says, you know, uh, has God indeed, are you sure that God has said you shouldn't eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God didn't say anything about touching it, but, you know, when you start having conversations with Satan, you're bound to get confused. And uh, she did. And then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And now he's lying. He's gone from, you know, just questioning, just asking questions here, that's all, sowing doubt, to now flat out lying, you will not surely die. They would, physically and spiritually. He says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, 
That is true, but not in a good way. And you will be like God, in a sense, but not in a good way, knowing good and evil. Now, if you didn't know anything else about the Bible, you would probably say, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'll know good and evil. I'll, I'll be like God. My, my eyes will be opened. That sounds pretty good, but it's all a lie. It's some flat-out lies, and then it's some other things that are kind of true but twisted, so in effect, those are lies as well. And so we see that from the beginning, Satan has been lying to people. The problem is, is that a lot of people don't know that they're being lied to. They don't know when they're being lied to, and so then they believe the lie. And here Jesus says, you guys are believing a lie from your father, Satan, the father of lies. It is his very nature. He was the father of lying. He invented the lie. Thank you very much. Now we all have to go around through life wondering what is true and what isn't. Well, that's because Satan is the father of lies. It came from his very nature. And there's no truth in him. He says, verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. You see, here is the interesting thing. People who believe lies can't believe the truth. You got to choose one or the other. You got to be capable of properly choosing the truth. And some are not. And these folks weren't. And so because they believed the lie, they couldn't believe the truth because it was so contrary to what they had chosen to believe. And they couldn't recognize the truth. And so then he says this, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? So he clarifies the whole problem. He asks them an important question. They're upset with him and wanted to kill him. What sin was that for? That pointed out that they had believed a lie and not the truth. It was an easy way of identifying it. Verse 47, he who is of God hears God's word. If you're of God, you hear God's word, you know the truth, you listen to it, and you do not hear because you are not of God. Now in verse 48, then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? (laughs) So... You know, when they couldn't match Jesus in wisdom or in knowledge uh, of God's word, they resorted often to insults, and that's what they do again here. And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Now, that's an interesting warning They dishonored Jesus. Uh, It wasn't really a problem for Jesus that they dishonored him. In other words, he wasn't getting his feeling hurt personally. But that was still a problem for them because even though he wasn't seeking his own glory, the Father was seeking glory for him and the Father would judge them, Jesus said. You see, Jesus is not getting personally offended by people who, who reject him or, or even these people. But 
that doesn't mean that they didn't still have issues with dishonoring the Son of God because the Father was seeking the glory of the Son. And the Father would hold them accountable if they didn't correct their error. And so verse 51, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So again, we get to, Jesus is, is so good about this. He doesn't get sidetracked, you know, they insults and all these other things and, and people dishonoring him and, and, and that could have really derailed the conversation. But he always brings it back to the most important thing and the most important aspect of abiding in his word eternal life. The most important aspect of abiding in His Word is eternal life. And, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, this life is but a drop in the bucket of of, uh, your existence. You are eternal and you are going to live forever somewhere in heaven or apart from God in hell, with God or apart from Him. And what decides that is whether or not you have received Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. And the way that you know that you have is is easy to see in your life. Are you abiding in His Word? Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. As James said, faith without works is dead. And Jesus is saying the same thing here, verse 52. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets uh, who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him. But I know him. And then he says this in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now this is, uh, he just blew the lid completely off this discussion in verse 56. Their natural father, Abraham, their natural ancestor, was looking for Jesus, Jesus says, was looking for him by faith. Abraham was looking ahead. He was looking ahead to the Messiah and he saw him by faith. Back to the book of Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. Paul again says, What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham, how was Abraham saved? Through works? No. Paul says, by faith. He believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, here's the problem. A lot of times people talk about faith. Faith in what? People use this term faith without understanding so often. Faith in what? 
Sometimes they use faith in the sense of, well, I'm just, I have faith. What they mean is, I just hope it all works out. And I'm a positive person, so I think it's probably going to. That's what they mean by faith. That's not what the Bible means by faith. It is faith in God's Son for deliverance from sin that we could not otherwise do for ourselves through our own works. In Genesis chapter 22, you say, well, how do you know that Abraham, you know, how do you know that he believed that? Well, let's see what the scripture says. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2 says, God, and, and, and this is where God is instructing uh, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. He says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Mount Moriah, of course, becomes the temple mount. This is kind of the epicenter uh, in, in, in Scripture. And even back in the time of Abraham, 1850 years or so before Christ would die on that same mountain, he tells him to take his son there and to sacrifice him. Verse 8, Abraham said something very interesting when his um, son says, Hey, Dad, we got the wood, we got, we got everything that we need um, for the sacrifice, but... We don't have the sacrifice. Smart kid. And Abraham said this, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Now, in the original text, it says, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And in verse 14, it says, And Abraham called the name of the place because, you see, the Lord preserved Isaac. He provided a lamb in that time. And it was a picture of how he would ultimately provide his son. And Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And so we see this great discussion then there of, uh, of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Now don't leave there Genesis chapter uh, 22, and we pick it up also then in verse 15, it says, then the angel of the Lord, this is none other than an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, we see that the angel of the Lord uh, throughout the Old Testament is God, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. And multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. He reiterates his covenant with Abraham and he talks specifically about the seed of Abraham, the Messiah. And your seed, singular, as we saw Paul brings, brought that up there in Romans, he was talking about the Messiah. In Galatians chapter 3, turn over there, Galatians chapter 3, verse 
16. It says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. To Abraham and his seed, capital S in most translations, because it's speaking seed singular, it's speaking of the Messiah. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later, after Abraham, so Abraham wasn't even under the covenant of the law, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. His faith was never in works. It was always in the seed. He was looking ahead to the Messiah. Verse 19 of Galatians 3, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Verse 24 of that chapter, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. In Hebrews chapter 11 Verses 10 and 13, it says this about Abraham, the great chapter of faith, that he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then it says in verse 13 of Hebrews 11, speaking of all of the of these Old Testament heroes of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims upon the earth. So what did the Old, Testaments, including, uh, Old Testament saints, including Abraham, believe? They believed in the Messiah. Every person who has ever been saved has been saved the same way. Every single one, from Adam to the present day, and as long as Jesus Christ tarries, every person is saved the same way. In the Old Testament, they were looking ahead to the Messiah. They were looking ahead to the cross. In Jesus' time, they were looking on upon the cross, and we look back today upon the cross, but all of us look by faith to the cross of Jesus Christ. We are all saved the same way. And so Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw it by faith, looking ahead. And that's what his faith and trust was in. It was in the Son of God for the deliverance of his sins, not in his good works. Verse 57, then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, he says something very interesting. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Not before Abraham was, I was. He uses, actually, it's maybe not quite uh, apparent at first, but he uses the name of God. He claims to be God. Before Abraham was, I am. And the name of God means the eternal one, the existent one, 
the great I am from Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15 there. And they understood him. How do you know? Look at verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. What's the difference between someone who professes to believe or agrees and someone who is a disciple indeed? The difference is is that they receive and they continue in his word. They receive the truth of the promise. They receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then they continue, they abide in his word, having truly received him. And disciples are free, as we've seen. This is the beauty. Disciples are free. Disciples have a true relationship with God. And disciples have, as Jesus says, eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful here tonight that we can come and we can open your word and we can receive truth, the truth. Not our truth, not a truth, not a version of the truth, but the truth. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And Lord, we thank you that we are free indeed here tonight. As our heads are bowed in prayer, if you've come tonight and you haven't placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you've agreed with some things, maybe you've been following on some level, You need to become a disciple indeed. You need to be free indeed. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ so that you can know that you have eternal life and so that you can, through the power of His Spirit, abide in His Word. And if you're here this evening and you haven't repented of your sin and given your life to Christ, then I'd like to pray with you right now tonight to do that. And I invite you right now to raise your hand where you're sitting. We'll pray together, and God will hear your prayer. He will receive you with arms open wide. But you take this opportunity now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for for choosing us and for loving us. And Lord, we thank you for the life that we have in you. We ask that you would give us continued strength to abide in you, to abide in your word, to abide in your son, And it's in his name that we pray, in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.